Romans chapter number 16. And we're preaching this week, as the Lord leads, on finding yourself. Finding yourself in the family of God. As we look at this, uh, this truth, of course, we're going to see that, that every family has some special treasures that have been handed down. We mentioned peace this morning. Another golden nugget that God has given to His family is grace. Aren't you glad for grace? Grace that not only saves us, but grace that keeps us. The unmerited favor of God. What a great treasure that that is among the many. And we'll be preaching on that one night and pointing out the treasures that are in this text. Uh, we also thought about those traits, those things that remind others that uh, we are children of God. And you've heard the phrase many times saying, well, your daddy will never die as long as you're alive. And what we're saying is, is this just so many uh, reminders and so many traits that, that it seems as though they're the same person. And I think that there ought to be those identifications that we are a part of the family of God. But uh, we all have received uh, physical traits from our parents, some that we like. We don't mention those, but those that we don't like, we always growl about them, don't we? Oh, I inherited that from my daddy. But I'm glad that God has some traits also that can show up on us as His children and uh, as His family. Of course, there, are, there, are, there is the family ties that bind, that love that, that holds us together. Of all the things that God's family has that makes us a family, and, and of all the things that the earthly family has that makes it a family is, of course, that genuine love. If you take that out of a family, it ceases to be a home. It's just, uh, it's just a house. And just the parts, but it's not together. And God wants His family to operate in the realm of love. I heard about a farmer that took his wife to the doctor. She wasn't feeling too good. And the doctor examined her, couldn't find anything really physically wrong. And he came out and said to the old farmer, he said, Listen, sir, he said, I can't find anything wrong with your wife. He said, I, I think it's an emotional problem. He said, I believe that it, all she needs is a hug or a kiss at least three times a week. And I think that would help her. And he said, well, ma'am, I, I could, I could, Doc, I could get her here on Monday and Wednesday, but I, I don't know if I could. I'm going to have to go to the farmer's market on Friday. So, <laughs> And I'm afraid a lot of times we just hold, we, we hold on to the titles. Oh, yeah, we're husband and wife. We're married. Yes, those are our children. That's my brother and sister. But the rain, main ingredient is absent. And that is that ingredient, love. And this is more than just saying you are a church or you are a, a member or this is your pastor or this is your brother or sister, but it is a matter of God placing His love in your heart one for another. But the message that I want to preach on for a few moments tonight is the family tree. The family tree. And uh, I want to begin by reading our text I confess that Romans chapter number 16 does not look like a revival chapter. 
And it's about as interesting as a man reading a cookbook. Because it seems to be just a list of names. But you've got to understand, as I've said this morning, the Apostle Paul has lost his earthly family. This is the only family he has. He's making reference after his great dissertation on salvation. He turns and begins to mention all of those people that have had an impact upon his life. And they are real people that have touched him as, as a part of the family of God. Those people that God has used in his life to help him accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish. I think of it kind of like a, a prayer request list. Most churches have them. And uh, to a lot of people, that's just a list. They'll just pick it up and look down through the names. And it may be just a list to you until it's your wife's name on that list. Or maybe it's a son who who had a wreck that's in the hospital, or a brother that's got cancer, or, or when, then, then it's personal because it's people that have meant something to you down through the years. And so as we read these names and we see uh, these people that meant so much to the Apostle Paul and where they are and what they're doing, perhaps you can find yourself also as a part of God's family. I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centuria, that you receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and that you assist her. And whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer or a helper, a minister of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved well Epinetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles and uh, who also were in Christ before me. Greet and pliest, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachius, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa. Now, I told you about my, my youngest son, Paul, and his wife. Wednesday, they had, they had twins. And I had tried to encourage them to give them Bible names. And these were the names I wanted, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Make it easy, I could say fiend and foe. But they rejected me right out, and I didn't win that one. But he said, Who labored in the Lord, salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Felgon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren, which are with them. Salute Philologus, and Julia, and Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. 
For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you to be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of, of the city, saluteth you. And Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of the faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. I'm looking at the family of God in Romans chapter number 16. And what I want to emphasize is the matter of the family tree. Every family has a, a tree that represents your genealogy. And all of those leaves on there will show you your, your family, your relatives, those that are kin to you. And you will be able to trace them back to a root, uh, to a specific mother and father back in the generations through which all of these family members, however large it may be, came from. And we call that our family tree. And the fact that you have descended from that same person uh, qualifies you to be blood kin or of some relation to those other people, as I say, that are on that tree also. And I notice here that uh, in chapter number 16, this, this matter of Paul's family is also a matter of a family tree. God's family. You see, as I said this morning, there are two families that God instituted in this world. Everything He's ever done, He's done through these two families. One, everything physically He's ever done, He's done through the earthly family, the human family. The other, everything He's ever done spiritually, He's done through the heavenly family or the family of God. One comes through Adam, that earthly tree. The other comes through Christ, again, that divine tree. And all the human family brings its origin back to and traces it back to Adam. But all of God's children must take their origin back to Christ. And there can be nothing that, uh, that stops anywhere between you and Christ or you're not a part of the family. Because that's the tree through which all the family and in which all the family resides. Now, there are three things I want to say to you simply before dessert. Three things about this family tree. First of all, I want to emphasize what I call the base of this tree. The beginning of this tree. The start of this tree. 
Isaiah 1.11 said, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Revelation 22.16, I, Jesus, have set mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Romans 15 and verse 12, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and in him shall the Gentiles trust. And here's what I want you to see is that Christ is the beginning of this family tree. It all starts in him, and you cannot be a part of the family unless you come through Christ. In other words, he is the root of this tree, he's the shoots on this tree, and he's the fruit of this tree. Jesus is the Lord of this tree, he's the life in this tree, and he's the limbs on this tree. Jesus is the beginning of this tree, he is the branches of this tree, and he is the budding of this tree. Jesus is the essence of this tree. He is the energy of this tree. And He is the expression of this tree. And if there's any one thing that you find as you read Romans 16 that connects and brings this family together, it is all of the mentionings of Christ, in Christ, by Christ, and so forth. This is a Christ centered tree without which this family would not exist. The family of God. Now, when I think about the starting, the base, and the beginning of this tree, I realize that the only way that you can get into a family tree in the natural sense is that you must be birthed into that family genealogy. You just don't ho-hum one day and say, you know, I just think I'll jump out of this family and I'll jump into that family. I don't like this bloodline. I like that bloodline. And, and my genetics and my past are not too good. I think I'll plug into the genetics of their past. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you are born into that family and you cannot change that birth. You cannot change uh, the, the DNA that flows in your veins. It comes as a result of a birth in Christ. And uh, look, if you will, in verse number, verse number 1. I want you to see how this, this birth must be in Christ. He said, I commend unto you Phoebe, and he uses this word, our sister. Then, if you'll look down in verse number 14, he talks about the brethren. Verse number 15, again, he talks about his sister. And uh, then in verse number 17, he mentions the brethren. In verse number 23, he mentions Quartus, a brother. I was interested in this brother and sister matter. He's not talking about people who are physically kin to one another. He's talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it's amazing how God uses the same terms that He created for the physical family for His spiritual family. 
And I looked up that word brother and that word sister. And I was intrigued to find out that they are the same word with just a little different emphasis. And of course the emphasis is what lets us know what is feminine and that the other is masculine. But the word mean the two words mean the same other than the fact one identifies the male and the female these words are one and the same in that they mean this to be born of the same womb. That's what brother means. Uh, when I said as a child, this is my brother, this is my sister, what I was saying was we were born of the same womb. And Paul, in the matter of the spiritual realm, when he speaks of brothers and sisters in this family, he's talking about those also who have been born. As Jesus said unto Nicodemus, you must be born. And as Peter said, being born again. Uh, of course, we realize that the only way into the family of God, the only way to become a brother or sister, you must be born of the same womb. Born of the same womb. And uh, that's what he's talking about in this matter of being brother and sister. Born of the same womb. Not only are we born of the same womb as a family of God, as, and that's what brought us into this tree. That was the starting point. That was the base. We go back to Christ. We were born into Him, by Him, born into, by the same womb. But you know that we are born of the same seed. Not only of, uh, uh, are we born of the, same, of the same womb, we're born of the same Word. The Bible said being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, how? By the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever. God's children have been born of the same womb. We've had that same birth experience. And we have all been born of the same Word. The seed of the Word of God was germinated in your heart and in my heart and brought forth life and therefore we became God's children. And you cannot be God's children outside of this, this birth that involves the womb and involves the Word. You can't stop short of that. You can't say as many times, you know, I, I've been baptized. That doesn't get you in the family. You can't say, but I joined the Baptist church. That will not get you in the family. You must come through Christ. The same womb, the same word, and we are born of the same wind. We are given the same breath. Just as we were in Adam, so we are in Christ. As he said to Nicodemus, that uh, the wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, canst tell from whence it cometh, or whither it goeth, but so is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. We have a commonality in our birth. We're born of the same womb, the same word, and the same wind. Therefore, we are of the same family because we came through Christ. Now, I would want to offend uh, folks, but it is the truth. There will be no Hindus in heaven. Because they do not claim Christ. They will not come through Christ. And God's family begins in Christ. I don't mean to say that harshly, but I have to say that because it is true. 
And if they are to be saved, they must come through Christ. God doesn't have a Hindu family and then a Christian family and a Buddhist family and a Muslim family. But he'll all get together and somehow iron out the differences when we get to heaven. If that be so, his son died in vain. He has one family and one family tree. That tree was Calvary and that's where you and I got in the family. Well, I do believe that there'll be some Methodists in heaven. Uh, by, by, by the way, there'll be some Methodists that won't be in heaven. There'll be some Baptists that won't be in heaven. Because denomination is not the root or the starting point. If your religion put, brings you back to an earthly person or to an earthly place or, uh, or, or an individual or, or some kind of earthly experience, uh, then I'm sorry, you're not a part of the family. You need to wake up to that. You must have your beginning in Christ. That's where it all started when I was introduced to Christ and, and He birthed me. I was born of the living Word of God by the Spirit of God into the family of God. Just as literally as I was born the first time and I am alive physically, so I was born the second time and I am alive spiritually. Aren't you glad for that birth? Amen. Being a part of the family of God, the very initiation of it is, is being born into the family. As I say, I'm glad there will be some Methodists there. There will be some Presbyterians there. There will be Baptists there. But if they're there, they came in through Christ. It is a, it is a birth and it is a belonging. Did you notice this as we read these, uh, these names and, and how they belonged uh, I, I'm glad that I do belong. I'm glad that I'm birthed into the family and I belong in the family. And uh, you can tell when children are at home by the way they act and uh, who they run to when they get hurt or they're afflicted. Uh, they're, they're part of that family and that's where they go to. And when my, when my children come home, they just make themselves at home. They are at home. They don't ask for anything. They don't go to say, Dad, it's all right if I get in the refrigerator and drink your last mocha. Or uh, they don't, you know, I'm going to watch this program and sit in your seat. And I'll be back on your motorcycle in a little bit, Dad. They don't ask, imply, suggest. They just do. And I'm not, I'm not upset at that. I mean, uh, not right now. Sometimes I may be, but uh, I, I, they do that because they feel that. They're a part of the family. And uh, so it is. We don't tiptoe around our Father. We don't dread coming into His presence and singing His songs. And Why? Because we are a part of the family of God. There was a day when God's family... I was so far removed from it, had no connections to it. It was foreign to me. But oh, when I got birthed into it, I got a feel for the family of God. Amen. Notice what he says now. He says, my helpers. They're not just my helpers, but they're my helpers in Christ. Verse 3. He talks about the first fruits, but they're not just the first fruits. They're the first fruits unto Christ. That's, what, that's what's brought them together. 
Verse 7, they are in Christ before me. Verse 10, they are approved in Christ. Verse 8, they are my beloved in the Lord. They labored in the Lord. They labored much in the Lord. And they are chosen in the Lord. The thing that, that stands out about these people is the fact that, that Paul is recognizing them as individuals. No matter what they're doing, they are in Christ. And the important thing is not that we sing or play the piano or preach or teach or our church members or whatever is. The important thing about you and I is, is that we are in Christ. We have been born into that family and we belong in that family. We belong in that family because we have been born into it. So that is, the, that is the base of, that, of this family tree. It is simply Christ. Tracing yourself back to Christ and Christ alone. But the second thing I would point out to you concerning this, this family tree, it's not only its base and its beginning, which is, which is in Christ, that gives us that that position and that possessiveness that we have that is in Christ. As I say, before we were saved, it seemed to be, we seemed to be foreigners and outcasts. And certainly I was one, not being raised in religious circles or being taught anything about God or the Bible of any, any sort. And how strange the first few times I went to church it seemed to me but all oh, when I got born into the family, what a difference it made as it gave me a warm welcome by my birth and by the Spirit of God. I'm not just talking about people welcomed me. I'm talking about my father made me welcome into his family. And what a blessing that has been for 41 years. And I began to possess what God had given to his family. But the second thing I want you to notice, not only this matter of the base of the tree, but I want you to notice in particular the faces that are on this tree. Every, every family tree has faces on it. And in this case, it's uh, mothers and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and children. They are from Corinth, they are from Achaia, they're from Rome, they're from Centuria. They're called servants and succorers and helpers and laborers and fellow prisoners and work fellows. But the important thing is, is as Paul calls out these names, as he talks about Phoebe and Aquila and Priscilla, and uh, as he talks about Rufus, and as he talks about Adronicus and Junia, as he talks about uh, Julia and Nereus and Olympus, and as he talks about uh, Quartus and, and Erastus, he, he's, he's not talking about fictitious people. He's not talking about people who he wished existed. But he's talking about real people. These are people that he had made contact with in one sort or another, and they had left a major impact upon his life. So much so that he inscribes their name in this little chapter, and 2,000 years later, 
of all the people that existed in that day, we know these 33 people by name because they were such a blessing. They were a part of Paul's family and they were such a blessing to him in many ways. Real people who are being remembered for their reactions and their doings and their blessings in Paul's life. Whether it is a Priscilla and Aquila laying down their life for him, or whether it is uh, one man who accommodated him, became his host, or whether it is those uh, ladies who labored so much and, and, uh, and labored in the Lord. All of these people were real people that had some aspect of effect in the ministry to Paul's life. Now, as I said in the beginning, finding yourselves in the family. It is very urgent that we don't have any hobo family members. You know what a hobo is, don't you? He just goes from train to train. Carries his little stick on his back, the little red flag, the little red sack, and that's all he's got in is a piece of bread, and he's, he ain't looking for a job, he's looking for a handout. Now, sad to say, in many churches, and, and, and I realize I'm preaching to the choir, you're here on Sunday night, but uh, in many churches, there, there are large portions of those people that are members that are hobos. In other words, they don't know, they don't know what keeps the lights on because they don't tithe, and so they don't really have a part in it. They're just here enjoying what somebody else paid for. They don't know these floors get vacuumed. They just imagine they always stay clean. Church never gets dirty. And uh, they, they don't know, you know, if the preacher preaches a good sermon, oh, well, that was a good sermon. But they've spent no time in prayer for him. And uh, for the other brothers and sisters that are in Christ, they are what we call hobo family members. Now, this... This is true in the physical sense. When you have your family get-togethers, and I'm sure all of you have had them, and still have them, when the family tree comes together, you'll always have one that's going to show up and say, Oh, boy, I'm going to tell you, I, I meant to cook something and bring something, but, you know, it was so late, and all these, and they always make an excuse. And then when it, and some of you are shaking your head, when it comes time to clean up, oh, I hope y'all don't mind, but I've got an appointment to make. I, I wish I could stay here and help you. But you didn't expect it anyhow because they've hoboed the whole nine yards in the, in, in, as far as the family situation is concerned. They've not really done anything, so you know they're not going to start doing anything. But here in this text... Somebody said, but I, I thought those people lived 2,000 years ago and they're all dead. Yes, they are, but God's family's still alive. And the same things that God's ministry and work needed, and God's ministry and work is made up of people. And He doesn't send angels down here to do the praying and the giving and the witnessing and the cleaning and all that stuff. He uses family to do that. That's why He saved you for the family's sake and, 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 to, and to get sinners into the family. So as you look into this text, 
It should be your prayer, Lord. I realize that. I realize that uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila is dead and gone. But would you let me be the Priscilla and Aquila for this church? And, and I realize that Rufus is not around to labor. But Lord, I'd like to be that Rufus in this church. And Lord, I, I realize that that uh, I, I realize that Gaius is not here to be the host and be kind and make people feel welcome. But would you let me be the Gaius for this church? And so on. The the family members who will engage in what needs to be done for the family's sake, because it's the family of God. And as long as God's family is here, the reason why God's family is here is because God wants to birth some more children and He's going to use us to birth them through His Word and His Spirit. But we have to be the faces that are willing to be used of the Lord instead of sitting back and saying, Oh, well, you know, I really don't have anything to do. I want to tell you something, I, wouldn't, I, I, I would not utter those words because if God has never given you anything to do, I doubt you're part of the family. And for instance, if you've got a family, say for instance, got four children, and uh, the mother and the father, they will instruct those four children somewhere along life, they should have something to do. Maybe they spoil one of them, but God doesn't spoil his youngins. Leave that out. But for the most part, we had four children, and when they got to the place where they could, we gave them things they needed to do because they were our children. But when the visitors' youngins came over, we didn't go instructing the visitors' youngins on what needed to be done because they were not our children. But our Heavenly Father has birthed you as His children, and He wants more children, and He wants to use you and me to be the the instruments through which he can bring others into the family of God. But you, you can't be the hobo family member. And may it, be, may it be in your heart. You say, well, but I'm, look at me how old I am. It doesn't make any difference. God has you here for a purpose. All you need to do is ask him what that purpose is, and it will be a very needed purpose. If it's nothing but secret prayer, and, 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 or if it's just coming and being a blessing to somebody else, but, but you are one of those faces. And as Paul, Vance Havner, an old preacher of days gone by, from the mountains of North Carolina, spoke of, uh, he, he preached a message on faces in the fire. And he said when he was a child, the only thing they had was the, the fireplaces to warm the house. And he said at nighttime, you would pull your chair up to that fireplace. It would get to blazing with the backlog in there. And he said, I, I, you never looked into that fire very long until faces began to leap out of those flames. And most of the time, it was faces of people who meant much to you but had gone on to be with the Lord. A dear precious grandmother that would rock you and sing the songs of Zion. A daddy who would instruct you and teach you in the ways of the Lord. An old preacher that came through that area and preached the gospel through which you were saved. Or a brother or sister in Christ that ministered to you in your time of need. And, and different faces that seem... And isn't that true in your life? It is true in my life. I, I'm not where I'm at at 41 years old simply because I have pressed on by myself. If I am 
am anything it is because God has given me wonderful family members at different times of my life when I really needed ministered to in certain ways and they have these gifts and these abilities and now many times I'll be sitting driving down the road and it's kind of like looking into the fire and thank God the memory will bring out those special people who had an effect on my life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live as a person that's just had a title. Oh, he was a preacher or he was an evangelist. But I'm going to tell you something. When they lay me out, I want folks to walk by and look into my face and I want my face to be a face that they will remember down through the rest of their days as someone that God used in their life in a special way because they were family members. Family members. Let me ask you this question. When your pastor lays down at night, and I'm sure he does, and his flock goes through his mind, are you one of those faces that he says, thank God, I don't think we could make it without them. Thank God that you've given them to this church because they are. Now, he, he appreciates all of his children that God's given him to flock. But some of you, some of you have taken hold. And he knows, and he, he, he can't help but see those faces. And I'm going to tell you something. I would be determined in prayer before God Almighty that I would be one of those faces in the fire. Because I would want to minister to someone else before I left this world. Faces, seeing yourself, seeing yourself. As one who, who labored in the Lord, one who was approved and had a good uh, testimony, one uh, who was, uh, was close by as a fellow prisoner, one who was willing to lay down not only your energies but your life. As he talks about these people that meant so much, they were, they were faces in the fire. They were reflections that he remembered. I'm talking about the family tree. I'm talking about the base of this tree. You must go back to Christ. You must be able to trace yourself back to Christ. I'm talking about the faces in the, on this tree and how blessed these, these faces are. But the last thought that I would bring to your attention is uh, I, I want you to notice with me the grace that is in this family tree. You do realize that if you're a part of the family of God, it's not genetic. It's not earned. It's not because of uh, some uh, family descendancy that you are a part of. It's not a coat of armors. You're not a duke and an earl and a count. Uh, and that makes you a part of the family. No, if you were a part, as all of these are a part of the family of God, each one of these people that are in here, they are in here by grace. For by grace are you saved. Every name that's on the, on the family tree, one thing you know for sure, it is a gracious tree. It is a gracious tree. It is totally of grace. You'll not be able to point one of those names and say, boy, I'll tell you what. That's, that's how they got. No, we all got in the same way. Saved by grace. And we recognize this because there are all sorts of people on this tree. He mentions these names. 
with a variety of social status and standings. Some of them are Greeks, some Romans, some Jews, some Corinthians. Some of them are slaves. Uh, some of them are, one seems to be a, a mayor or a, a, a steward. Uh, others seem to be poor. Some seem to be rich. But the truth of the matter is, none of them were rejected. If they came to Christ, they were born into this tree. And aren't you glad that there's no sinner that's ever rejected? But uh, they, are, they are born into this tree if they will come to Christ. They can become a part of the family, the greatest family this world's ever known, the family of God. It is a gracious tree. I'm talking about seeing yourself in the grace of this tree as far as how gracious it is. Of all of our differences, the one thing that brings us together is the fact that we are in Christ by grace. No grading. Uh, had a member of my church in North Carolina that, where I pastored, and he, he had an apple orchard, and, and uh, sometimes I would go up there uh, when the apples came in, and they would pick those apples, and then they would begin to grade them. And uh, some would be the uh, number one grade A apples, and they would have to be certain sizes, and they couldn't have any bruises on them, and they had to have the stem in them and all of that. And, of course, they went into one place, and they were sold for a certain price. And then you'd have a, a second grade, and, and then a third grade, and... and uh, these, these uh, things where these apples would go around would have holes of different sizes and, and, uh, and if, if you were a, a, a small apple you would drop out of that thing and you weren't good for anything I mean they couldn't sell you on the market as an individual apple you were just uh, taken and they made juice out of you that's what they did they just haul off big truck loads of uh, truckloads of apples that that were not good because they weren't graded high enough, but they'd make juice out of them. Well, I'm going to tell you, God has no juice children. Uh, he has no graded children. There's no one, two, three children. But thank God if you are in his family, he didn't come along and say, well, I don't want that sinner. He can't help me in my family. Why, the guy can't even read. That's the one I want over there. Get that banker. He'll help me out in my family. And that doctor over there, I'd like to have him in my... God never did that. He doesn't grade like that. Thank God we're a part of the family for one reason. We are in the family because of God's amazing grace. So we can't brag about our family tree as if we had something to do with it. We can only point, again I say, to Christ. He is the gracing of this tree. But I want to go back to four, verse 4 and, and, and seeing yourself in the grace of this tree as far as how, how, how it's so full of grace, and the gracing of it. But I want you to see yourself in this grace as far as the grafting of this tree. The grafting of this tree. Look in verse number 4. And as Paul writes about the family of God, the family of God, here's what he says in the latter part, or we'll read the whole verse. Who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but here's what I'm interested in, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. 
Now what you've got to understand is that up to this point, all of the Bible history was about one family, the Abrahamic family, the Jewish family. And that was vital and important of being a part of that family. So much so that by the time Jesus came on the scene, the Pharisees had elevated to the place to where they claimed almost as if uh, they put such a claim on that earthly heritage. They said, well, we have, we have Abraham as our father and Moses as our lawgiver. As if there was a virtue in that that elevated them above any other family on the earth. And they looked down upon all the other families of the earth. They called them Gentiles. Even in their prayers, they referred to them as, as dogs. Unworthy. And they would not even associate with the Samaritans who were noted to be half-breeds because the Assyrians had taken some of the Jews out and brought in some of the Gentiles and they married in and mixed in and uh, they scorned them because they were not pure blood as far as Jewish was concerned. But yet when Paul writes and he talks about the church, the called out assembly, the family of God, he doesn't talk about the church of the Jews or the church of Abraham or the church of Moses or the church of the law. This must have turned the Pharisees inside out. As a matter of fact, it's what made them so mad at him. So mad at the apostle Paul. He said the churches of the, the dogs... The churches of the Gentiles. If you look up that word Gentile, the word Gentile is, uh, is the, at the base of the root of that word is where we get our word heathen. Heathen. It means to be uncouth, to be un, un, untrained. Uh, it means to be uh, of a lesser sort. Uh, means to be barbaric. Uh, all of those degenerate terms that were referred to a certain sect of people that were of low class. Uh, they, they said they are Gentiles. We would call them heathen. Have you ever used the word heathen? If you've got youngins, you have. Haven't we all? Qu quit your, don't act like a heathen. You're acting like a heathen. One preacher said he told his boys, just five years old, said, son, you're acting like a renegade. He said he's down playing the toys. He looked up and said, dad, I ain't no renegade. I'm a heathen. <laughs> but my question is, how in the world, when you have a tree that is so righteous and a tree that uh, is, is uh, uh, so divine... When you have a tree as the tree of Christ that really enfolds all the truths of the Old Testament as far as faith in Abraham, the law being fulfilled in, in Moses, when you have this tree of Christ, how in the world does these bunch of heathen get in there? Have you ever been shocked when you found out somebody was a part of somebody? That's who? He's your brother? But when Paul writes, unashamedly, he says, I'm writing to the churches of the heathen, the churches of the Gentiles, the low grades. How in the world do you get that outfit 
into this tree. It doesn't seem like that they mesh. It doesn't seem like they belong there. You ever heard of grafting? Hmm? Let me read you a verse. Romans 11, two verses. 18 and 19. Boast not. He's talking to the Gentiles. Boast not thyself against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not root, but the root thee. But thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be what? Grafted in. Now, I'm talking about this tree that we're part of. My father-in-law on the farm there in the mountains of North Carolina and had several apple trees on it. And, and I was over there one day and uh, he's headed out. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to do some grafting. I said, I'm interested in that. And he went over to an apple tree and he, he cut a twig off from it. Just a twig. And he went over to this other apple tree at a certain place on the side of that thing and he took a little axe and he cut a V in it. Uh, the sap began to run out. And he took that little twig and he, he, he fit it right into that V that was there and he had some beeswax. And he took that beeswax all meshed up and he put it right around that, that limb and tied it up there, that little twig. And I was curious about that, so over the weeks when I went over there, I wanted to see what happened. And I was amazed how he took a limb out of this tree that was dying and put it in this tree that was alive and within a period of time it began to blossom and bud and eventually produced fruit. And then I got to reading in the Bible. And I got to thinking about this tree of Christ who was righteous and holy and the only begotten of the Father, fulfiller of the law, faith embodied. And I wondered, how'd my name get on there? How'd I get a part of that family? That great tree of God's family. Can I tell you how we all got on? He went out there and got an old dead limb, a Gentile limb, that was only good for the fire to be burned. And he took that old limb and went up a hill called Calvary and cut a little V in the side of his son. And he took that, that old dead limb and he put it right into that side right there and he took the salve of the Holy Ghost, the wax, and put it all around it and sealed it real good. And 41 years ago, the very life, blood, and sap of the Son of God began to flow through this old dead limb. And I began to bud and leaves came forth and produce fruit. Not out of my own life, left to myself, I would have been burned. No good but a brush pile. But thank God I'm living out of the side of another tree. And right out on that limb, he put my name. Right there he is. Now if you'd have known my past, my dad being an alcoholic, I've told it here. Mother left when I was a year and a half old. I'd never read the Bible, never prayed a prayer, didn't know nothing about it until I was 14 years old. And through God's providence, I went to church on three occasions, heard the gospel. I was a heathen of the heathen. The area that I lived in in West Virginia, I lie you not. There were no good families there in that area as far as that you'd want to raise your children. 
But yet even their children were not allowed to come to my home because uh, they knew what went on there without a mother in that home. And uh, we were nothing but brush to be burned, I was sure. I was a heathen, as Paul would say, a heathen of the heathen. <laughs> Until the Holy Ghost picked up that old dead lamb one day and put me into the side of his son. And much to the marvel of all those that knew my family before I got saved, I'm a part of the family. No longer a foreigner, no longer a stranger nor an outcast, but I am a fellow citizen of the household of faith. That's why I say to you again tonight, I am so glad that I am a part of the family. The Holy Ghost has just sent me to remind you of his blessed family that he's brought together out of his son. And if nothing more is accomplished than that, it'll be a great work in our hearts. You know, Isaiah 53 tells us about Christ and says he was taken from the land of the living the land of the living, and it says, Who shall declare his generation? Now what the writer is saying is what was true in those days. If a young man died having not married and had no children, or if he married and had no children, it was a terrible disgrace to the family. That's what the book of Ruth is all about. Boaz said, I'm going to marry that girl and raise up the name of the dead. I'm not going to leave him without a name. Because what would happen is, is that the name of that man would be forever forgotten because he had no children to carry on that name. Boaz said, I'll not do that. The first child will contain. And that was the Bible way to keep the name of the dead alive. And what Isaiah is saying is what happened in the New Testament. They took this young man, Christ, whom the Jews hated, who had never married and had no posterity and no children. They took him from the land of the living, took him to a cross and crucified him. And what they said was, this is the last we'll hear of this name. We're done with this name. Who's going to call this name out anymore? He's died a curse on the cross. He never married. He had no children. He has no posterity. We are forever ridden of that name. He'll have no family tree. <laughs> on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and 3,000 babies were born. And you know what the first name was that they heard? And the name that becomes so precious to them? You know what it was? Jesus. That's what he preached to them just before they were born into the family. While they were being birthed into the family. He said, this same Jesus who you have crucified, he hath made both Lord and King. Just a few days later, 4,000 babies were born. And the name that was so dear to their heart 
was Jesus. 7,000 babies left Jerusalem in a matter of a few days. And all they could do was holler out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> Sweetest name I know fills my ever longing, keeps me singing as I go. You see, what this thing's all about is declaring his generation. And boy, isn't that true that there's no name like Jesus to his children? It's the name that is upon our tongue. Let me tell you something. The thing that separates religion from salvation and, and true family of God is when men begin to emphasize any other name for any other reason, any other name than Jesus. He is that name that is upon our tongue. And we declare His generation. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be 